Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Well, it's exciting to start something fresh sometimes, isn't it? I mean, what kind of new things do you like to start? Maybe it's cutting into that new building project that you've been wanting to engage. Maybe it's laying out the pieces of a new quilt that you're going to make. Or perhaps it's rototilling up that virgin garden plot or deciding to paint the living room a whole new vibrant color and not telling the family in advance. What would that be like for you? What's a fresh start that you've been Maybe you've started a new Bible reading plan or you love to embark on that epically long road trip. Fresh starts can be so much fun, right? Until, well, until they're not. Somewhere down the road, you know, 400 kilometers into the trip or 18 days into the 30-day challenge, or we can find ourselves losing steam, losing passion, losing interest, wondering, why did I sign up for that exercise class? Did I let her convince me to do this? Starting fresh can be so much fun. But keeping on is the hardest part. All the doing, all the maintenance, all the day in and day out stuff you have to do, the routines, the habits, the showing up, well, that's where we can lose heart. That's where we can drift off and, well, feel bad about it when we occasionally remember. When it comes to the good things that we start, the hardest part is the keeping on. But the keeping on, of course, is where the growth occurs. It's where we actually see the thing develop that we'd wanted to see in our lives. Well, what about the good things that God starts in us? What about the good things he started in you, in us as a church? What about them? How do we keep on with that? The beginnings of a new life in Jesus are so very exciting. You might be able to remember your own story, hearing the amazing story of Jesus, coming to understand that there really is a God, and it's not some nebulous, impersonal force or some white-bearded dude in the sky, but a loving Father who's done everything possible to win us back to relationship with Him, sending His own Son, Jesus, to, so that we can be forgiven, that we can be free, we can be full of life. And then God, the Father and the Son, coming to live in us by the Holy Spirit. God living in us. And how now, because he's living in us, we're growing up in him. We're maturing. We're becoming completely human, the way he'd always intended us to be. That's amazing stuff, right? It's so wonderful, so fresh, so liberating. And often in the first months that a person comes to follow Jesus, they're just floating on a Jesus high. They're soaking everything up. Their eyes are wide as they look around and they're reading their Bibles day and night and coming out to every Bible study they can find. And they're worshiping every day 
It's just sizzling with the goodness of God's grace. But sometime in, when the honeymoon is over and the real work of following Jesus begins to set in, well, following Jesus can lose some of its shiny edge. The luster can dull as the hard times come and and then we're pushed to grow in uncomfortable ways and face some sort of sinful pattern or some sort of family of origin struggle or maybe even try to regain some of the experience of joy and peace that had once been so present and so available to us. And that's when the real growth begins to happen. How do we keep on keeping on following Jesus. This is a really crucial conversation. It's relevant for many of us. We can find ourselves slowing down, following less. And I think it's important that we have someone that we can talk to about that, a brother or a sister that can pray with us so that we can re-engage the full life of following Jesus. And that's where the Apostle Paul takes us today in this letter to the Colossian Christians. We're now into the second chapter of this four-chapter letter. We've been exploring what it means for us to flourish as saints, God's holy people today. The Apostle Paul, he's been pressing home, we heard this last week, about the hard work that's been done by him and others to help these Jesus followers flourish and how confident he is that they're doing really well that they are, in fact, flourishing. In verse 5, he says, Though I'm far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. It's quite an affirmation from the big Paul, don't you think? I mean, I'd love to hear Paul say that about me, about you, about us, wouldn't you? It's a real shot in the arm. I love it. But Paul's concerned that they continue to flourish that they don't stall, they don't wither, they don't wander off or fade away. And so let's pick up the passage today in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, and I'm reading today from the New Living Translation. I encourage you to open a Bible, a physical Bible, or on your phone. You can use it in the chat bar. There's a Bible option. Look for Colossians, C-O-L, and it should show up. And follow along with this as we go through the Scripture today. Verse 6 says, And now, just as you you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Paul is keen that these Jesus followers continue to be just that, followers of Jesus. He's already said, hinted at this earlier in his letter when he said, you know, if you continue to be established and firm. And now he's coming back around to this because it seems to be a concern that Paul carries. I mean, could it be possible that Jesus' followers would drift away from Jesus himself, that followers of Jesus could follow Jesus less if they're not attentive in some way to their following? Paul seems to think so. In fact, you might be able to argue that all 13 letters that he wrote are motivated by this same concern, that followers of Jesus continue to follow Jesus. Great, you're following Jesus, Paul says. Awesome. You're filled with the Spirit. Great. Now keep being filled with the Spirit. Keep following Jesus. You'll see this all over the place. Don't get distracted. Don't get derailed. Don't get disqualified. Follow, follow, follow. 
just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. This continue to follow him here is about walking with God, this walking with God kind of life. And it comes straight out of the story of God's covenant people. Walking with God recalls Enoch, who walked with God, and Abraham, who walked with God, and David, who walked with God. To continue to live in him emerges from that basic call for God's people to do justly and love mercy and walk humbly before their holy God as his responsive, faithful saints. And now Paul just kind of folds this into Jesus. This walk with God life now means continue to follow Jesus as an active, engaged, whole life way of being. Because we always want to remember, Christianity is not an idea to be thought. Christianity is not a theory to be endorsed or an ideology to be expressed. Christianity, or better yet, Jesus following, is a way that is walked out in life, walked out in relationships, walked out in this responsive, obedient faithfulness to the one who's rescued us, the one who's made us his own. And that's why the earliest followers of Jesus were often dubbed as belonging to the way, which has an interesting double meaning. The way being Jesus himself, but also the way being the way in which they're walking as followers of him. All of life is involved. Heart, mind, soul, guts, relationships, finances, sexuality, work, our inner life, our outer actions. Nothing is excluded. And so Paul invites them. Keep on following Jesus just as you first accepted him. What might that mean for you? Now, there are those of us here today, so glad you're here, who are not yet followers of Jesus, who are just listening and exploring. And I'll address you specifically later in some steps you can take. But right now, I want to pause for a moment and ask those of you who would say, I follow Jesus, what is this? How does this challenge you? How did you come to follow Jesus? What was that like for you? When you hear these words of Paul, just as you first accepted Christ Jesus as Lord, what does that remind you of? Do you remember what that was like? Do you remember what it felt like? Remember the things that that you were paying attention to, the things that you were caught up with? Because Paul, in some ways, wants you to recapture some of that, even as you continue to follow him. Well, to flesh this out some more, Paul pulls in two concrete metaphors, a healthy tree and a sound building. First, the healthy tree, then the sound building. Verse 7, let your roots grow down into him. And let your lives be built on him. How do we continue to follow Jesus? First, we make sure that our roots are growing down into Christ. Paul uses this healthy tree as a way of getting us to understand what it means to keep following Jesus. That the flourishing of any plant or any tree, we know this, depends on the depth and quality, not just of its roots, but the soil in which its roots are growing. Healthy trees are a stock metaphor throughout the whole of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, Psalms, Gospels, all over the place. In Psalm 1, we're told that um, the righteous delight in the law of the Lord and they meditate on his law day and night. And they're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither. 
and they prosper in all they do. Practically speaking, keeping your roots growing down into the soil of Christ is a call to abide in relationship with Christ, to remain connected to him. And it means that we need to tend to what's going on underneath the soil of our lives. In order to keep following Jesus, we need to go further into him. We need to be sinking deep into his mind, in his heart, his ways, his will. This rootedness is about a dynamic relationship with the Lord Jesus, in which we are active participants by the Holy Spirit. And primarily, we do this through lively, regular habits of spiritual formation, which is something we talk about quite a bit around the Erickson Covenant Church, that we need habits in our lives that help us root further into Christ. Letting our roots go deep into Christ means that we are seeking to grow in the knowledge of God, which we know is revealed to us fully in Jesus. It means that we're regularly contemplating the person of Jesus through prayer, through scripture meditation and study, through imaginative discussions with Jesus or an ongoing conversation with brothers and sisters. Being rooted in Christ means that we habitually and routinely open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit, and let him lead us more deeply into the nourishing soil of Jesus so that we can regularly receive essential nutrients from Jesus himself that enable us to grow in grace, that enable us to to receive fresh insight or confront hidden sin or confess anxious worries, to receive instructions for further service. That all happens as we get deep into the soil of Jesus. And so we encourage you to foster uh, routine for rootedness because we know that regular routines and daily habits are what makes or breaks the growth in our lives. That's true of any good area in your life. It's those regular routines and daily habits that make the difference between flourishing or failing. They, they are the, the routines that sustain us, especially in those times when we do lose focus or interest or passion. We're distracted. Those habits and routines that keep us moving ahead. And every Jesus follower needs a handful of habits, two or three, that continue to foster that life with Jesus so that we're flourishing in him. Do you know what yours are? If, if someone were to ask you right now, what are your handful of habits? What are your routines for rootedness? What would you say? What are those key things that are regularly in your life that keep you rooted in Christ? Well, from healthy trees, Paul shifts to sound buildings. Let your lives be built on him. We need to build our lives on the foundation of Jesus. With this building metaphor, in some ways, Paul now moves above the ground. Of course, a tree shows above the ground, but he focused on the roots. Now he's talking about what we're building on going up. He's focused on what is in some ways unseen, but also now calls us to be attentive to how we're building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. What's rising up from that? Jesus himself used the sound house metaphor in his own teaching. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he contrasts two kinds of houses one that's built on shifting sand, and one that's built on solid rock. And the house that's built on rock 
the house that withstands the storms of life when they come and does not fall, that sound house is, and now I'm quoting Jesus, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it. Building our lives on Jesus means living a life that is responsively obedient to the teaching of Jesus himself. Now, how does building start? Once again, we go back to those first moments when we responded to the good news of who Jesus is, of how he is the Son of God, how he came to take away our sin forever and restore us to a relationship with God and make us part of his holy family. And Paul wants these followers of Jesus to remember that. Remember their early days when they heard about this Jewish Messiah, Jesus, and how he had healed so many sick people and and treated outcasts so well, and he had taught so brilliantly and yet lived so humbly, and how he had died so horribly on a Roman cross. I mean, that's unbelievable, but somehow that death wasn't a defeat, but was a divine victory because he had said he would rise again from the dead and he wasn't just blowing smoke. He really did. And it wasn't just an idea or a myth. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people saw him alive, ate with him, touched his body. This was the real deal. And how they would have remembered how how they were coming to understand that through Jesus, God was making the world right again and wanted them to be part of his life, of his family. They would have remembered the day they came to first build their life on Jesus by trusting themselves to Jesus and being baptized and coming out of the water a new person and how the Holy Spirit came into their lives and filled them with God's love and, and filled them with an awareness of God's presence and how they had seen these amazing signs of God's care for them and power among them and how everything in their life had begun to change from day one as they trusted in Jesus. And they'd been building on him on on his life ever since. Paul acknowledges that. Paul sees that. And he's urging them to keep doing so. Don't change foundations now. Don't switch tracks. Don't wander off. Keep building your life on Jesus. Healthy trees, sound buildings. The soil, foundation of Jesus. This is what Paul is urging them to take seriously. And the result, Paul says, are obvious. Verse 9, then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught about Jesus, and you will overflow with thankfulness. I, I love this. When we tend to the growing down of our roots into the soil of Christ and building our lives on Christ, we're marked by truth and by thankfulness. And this happens naturally. As we're walking with Jesus, who is the truth, as we're listening and speaking and responding and worshiping and learning and repenting and growing and serving, all the while awestruck by God's grace in Jesus and all he has done, well, truth and thankfulness will mark us out as flourishing saints. If we've lost our thankfulness, though, that's an indication that something's amiss. If we're fuzzy about the truth, that's a warning that we need to pay attention to. Truth and thankfulness are natural results of having our roots go down and building up on the foundation of Jesus. It's one of the reasons why we're so intentional as the Erickson Covenant Church about worship and teaching. I mean, not only do, you know, through worship and teaching, do we stay rooted and building our lives on Christ, but through worship, we're able to express our thankfulness to God for who he is and all he has done in Jesus and his life in us. 
and through the teaching, we can regularly grow strong in the truth of who Jesus is, what he has done, and who he has made us in him. Well, as we move toward the end, Paul sketches out just a few kind of warning and reminders for us that just build on this theme. I'm going to read some larger blocks now. Verse 8, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking or from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is head over every ruler and authority. Paul wants us to protect our flourishing in Christ by accepting no substitutes for Christ. Jesus is the only way. Paul has begun to hint at some of the pressures that these Colossian Christians are experiencing. What are they exactly? We're not sure yet. Next week, when Peter Hanbury is teaching, he'll be able to more clarify that for us more because Paul's going to get more explicit. But for now, at least see this. These Christians are getting pressure to perhaps seek wisdom or knowledge, life or meaning from sources other than Jesus Christ. And when you realize that that's likely what's going on here, then much of what Paul's been saying already in the letter suddenly makes even more sense. He's been trying to get them to understand everything about Jesus, to to grow in their knowledge of Jesus, to, to sink their lives into Jesus, to soak in the truth of who he is, to surround their life with an understanding of all the difference that it makes to be in Jesus because he knows that when you're in Jesus, you've got everything else. It's in Jesus that are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Jesus, you've got the wisdom. You don't have to go somewhere else. You've got the knowledge. You don't need to go somewhere else. You've got the one in whom all things are held together, for whom everything was created. And then he says it again, what he said essentially earlier, you've got the one in whom God in his fullest self, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is present. So much so that because you're in him, you are so complete through your union with Christ. There's some deep stuff here, but it's all coming around to this essential point. If you've got Jesus Christ, you've got everything. Don't look somewhere else. Don't be distracted by some other philosophy or promise. To step away from Jesus is to retrograde, to regress, to leave what is best for what is less. And so whatever argument or philosophy or distraction or lifestyle that pulls you even fractionally away from the person of Jesus Christ, run. Resist it. Don't fall for it, Paul says. That's garbage. If you've got Jesus, you've got everything. This is a wonderful conversation to take to Jesus in prayer to thank him for his completeness and how he's completing you in him, but also to acknowledge we all have distractions, don't we? We all get pulled. This also is a wonderful conversation to have with a spiritual friend, to ask, what's been distracting you these days? To confess, this is where I feel my heart being pulled. And to refocus, let the roots go down, look at Jesus himself. Well, to do that then, Paul now takes them back to their start again. He's been doing this all the way through. 
But here in verse 11, listen to how he does this. He says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all your sins, all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. That's beautiful. Paul wants them to understand more fully what happened exactly when they came to Christ, when they were baptized into Christ. They may not have understood it at the time, but as they're growing in Christ, they're coming to more clarity in what exactly happened when we were baptized. He wants them to know this so that they're more fully rooted in Jesus. And this is key to our flourishing too. If we're followers of Jesus, we look back to our baptism as our death and resurrection day as when new life came, as when God, the triune creator of the world, came to live in us. How we were dead and gone before that, but now we are alive in Jesus, all through trusting faith in the mighty power of God who raised Jesus from the dead. How he did this all for us, but also how through it, he disarmed the very powers and authorities that would threaten us the very powers and authorities that would seek to diminish or destroy God's work, they have been shamed publicly through the cross. God is on the throne and Jesus is the king. We look back to that because it reminds us of who it is that we're rooting our lives in, of who it is that we're building our foundations on, of who it is that is in us as we are in him. And this renews this call, strengthens our resolve, to keep following Jesus. As we finish today, I want to invite you into a just kind of a, a reflection moment using water as a metaphor. And Paul does this here when he calls these Colossian Christians to remember their baptism. And so I brought some water today, and I'm going to just invite you, if you'd like to take a bowl of water at home, you can do this. You might get things a little wet, but you can do this. But uh, to, to see this water as a reminder of baptism. Now, I'm going to address three different groups that are with us today. First of all, I want to talk to those of you who are not yet following Jesus, who are exploring faith, who are listening, who are not sure, who maybe can't look back to your baptism in the way that others can. I want to tell you, first of all, again, (laughs) I'm so glad you're here. What a wonderful opportunity is to learn and to grow. And so this water doesn't necessarily represent you looking back to your baptism. What it represents is an invitation to consider what would it mean for you to step into this life that Jesus is offering you? What would this water of freshness, which represents death and resurrection, but also represents a washing and a cleanliness, a cleaning up, a newness. What would that look like for you? As you've been exploring who Jesus is, 
if you, as you've been hearing even today, all that he is and what he has done, is there a next step in your journey toward Jesus? I mean, it could be baptism. It could be that it's time for you to say yes. But it could also be a, a next step into some further understanding, studying the scripture some more, having a conversation with someone, uh, praying, and asking the Holy Spirit to guide you more clearly to an understanding of who Jesus is. And so this water represents a next step for you. And I want to encourage you to consider what that might be. There are also those with us today who would say, I'm a follower of Jesus. But for some reason or another, you have never been baptized. Now listen, friends, I want to invite you to consider a very concrete step. It's time for you to get baptized. You see, the truth is, following Jesus in, in, in the scripture, we understand it. It's all this way through. Being baptized is like a first step in following Jesus. So that each and every follower of Jesus should be able to look back to their baptism, just the way that Paul encourages these Colossian Christians to do, to look back at their baptism at the time when they died and rose again in Christ, when new life came. Now, again, Lots of reasons why, for some reason, you might not be baptized. That's okay. You don't need to feel bad about that. But it's a wonderful opportunity to say, it's time. It's time for me to get baptized into Jesus because I follow him and I believe in him and I trust in him. And so I want you to just very openly and honestly take this to Jesus and say, when should I get baptized? And if you'd like to take that next step, I encourage you to reach out. You can certainly email me connect at ericksoncovenant.ca and we can discuss next steps for you. Talk to a spiritual friend as well, brother or a sister, about what it might look like for you to be baptized into Christ. And then third, of course, there are those of us who are followers of Jesus and have been baptized into Christ. Maybe you were baptized as an infant. Maybe you were baptized as a, as a young adult. Maybe you were baptized just recently. And what Paul's inviting us here to do is to look back at our baptism and remember what it means. And so, to dip your hands in the waters and say, this reminds me of when I accepted Jesus Christ as Lord. When I said yes to him and trusted my life into his hands. That's the day I died, was buried, but rose again as a new person in Jesus Christ. And these waters remind us of that. For each and every one of us, follower of Jesus, not yet following Jesus, those who are following Jesus and need to consider baptism, each one of us today can say yes to Jesus by taking the next step that's in front of us. The challenge that Paul's giving here is to let our roots go down deep, to build our lives on the only one who is true life, the only one who is the way, the only one who is the truth. The invitation is to life flourishing and good. Fresh starts are beautiful, aren't they? They invigorate us. We love them. But healthy trees and sound houses, people who are strong in truth and overflowing in thankfulness years and years down the road in spite of hardship and difficulty and, and desert times and, 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 and times of, of, of just, well, putting one foot in front of the other, when, when we still see health and strength there, friends, that is a glorious gift. That is a God-pleasing, 
Christ-honoring, Spirit-produced wonder to behold. Because keeping on, keeping on, following Jesus is ultimately what it's all about. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.